0: Really, I've answered already a lot of what is involved in this title, The Ghetto Mentality, Cut off From the World, Evangelical Pietism. But um, what I think is sadly true is that this is a reality, like we were saying, that we have to admit... Um, not to cast us into a spirit of despondency and despair as if there is nothing that can be done about it because that's not the case. Something can be done about it. Hard things can have to be done if it's going to be reversed. We have to be uh, convinced ourselves that this is not what the Bible represents, that we have taken a wrong road, unfortunately, and we have to plow back, little by little, so that we are no longer cut off from the world. We are not representing an evangelical pietism. We are no longer living in the ghetto, and so on. Okay. But let me just start, perhaps, with a little historical uh, comment, and then I'll throw it open for discussion, because I've already talked far too much. And um, the first thing is this, that I was just reading yesterday, I've... In unpacking down there in uh, in Hampshire because my wife and I were for uh, four years in the Swiss Labry. We had started in the Swiss Labry back in 1961 when we were married. But I went out there in 1960. Um, I was converted as a student at Cambridge, where I was uh, studying law and thankfully it was not long into my course, it was in fact my first weekend, <laughs> so I didn't lose any time. And uh, and then I met uh, Dr. Schaefer, because Brie had then just started in 1955, and I met him in the uh, spring of 1958, and I myself had lots of questions. I was experiencing some of these problems about the ghetto, you know, how do you get out, is Christianity really true? How do I answer my professors in jurisprudence, the philosophy of law? They're ramming humanism down my throat. They don't believe in God. The man's an atheist. What do I say? Oh, well, I'll go and ask my friends. Silence. No answers. You see, that was my own problem, Okay. And um, and that's part of the problem that I, I I'm I'm trying to deal with. You know, are there any answers? If there are answers, which we believe there are, they're not our answers. They're God's answers. They are wonderfully uh, true, but we haven't clicked yet, as it were. And we certainly haven't clicked with the culture at that point. But anyway, that was a tremendous experience for me. But anyway. Uh, after that, we soon I um, uh, came back to England and uh, we started the British Libri. And then when my father-in-law died in eighty-four, it was necessary for us to go back to Switzerland to help in the work there. And we only just returned. By now, So I was unpacking. This is the point I'm telling you about. mustn't lose the story. And I, I came across a book that a friend of mine had just sent me uh, with a... Um, Uh, interesting title uh, about Harvard, Harvard University. And um, I think it was entitled Veritas Revisited. And Veritas, as you know, is the Latin for truth. Now what's this got to do with Harvard? Harvard was the university, now a very famous university in the United States. It was started as you know, within about five years of the Puritans, the pilgrim fathers, who were trekked out in those funny little tubs, and through great hardship, settled on the east coast of America. Within five years, I mean, imagine, what would be the first thing you'd do after you've suffered almost half of your number being destroyed by disease, okay? You lost your wife, lost your kids, maybe, your husband. You're living in the wilderness. You've got no shops. You hardly have any contact with the outside world. But what would you think was important to do? Study university? (laughs) (laughs) And they did that. And there's the the coat of arms on the front of this uh, thing, which was produced for the 350th anniversary of Harvard University. And these Christians had banded together to try to remind the university that um, actually, though you may not have known this, the um, university was started by Christians. And the truth that is referred to on this shield, Veritas, it's written in big uh, letters across the shield, stands up there on the, on the walls of the university and so on, it goes on and hereby hangs a tale, which I'll tell you. And on the left-hand side of the shield is the word Christo. On the right-hand side of the shield is Ecclesiae. So it adds up to being this. Oh, oh, and in addition, there are two open Bibles on the shield, to both sides of the Veritas. And one open Bible, very interestingly enough, but I must dwell on this, which is face downwards and why that they meant to show that God's truth is open, God's word is open, we can read it, but we can't understand everything. The deep, it's deep teaching. So anyway, so here's Veritas. Truth for Christ, for the church. Man, you know what? The university has changed so much now that they've left off the Christo Ecclesiae. They don't even have that on their shield right now, you know, in the letterhead's. They just have veritas. You see, you can have any truth you like. Now, I only refer to that because, you see, it shows how much we have been marginalized. That means we've been stuck off on the edge. No one takes our faith seriously, or very few people in our society. Isn't that right? Neither Harvard University, nor Cambridge, from which I came. Almost all the colleges have names like this, from the Bible. Jesus Christ. Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, Christ's College, Moreland College, Magdalene, Um, what else? Trinity, Trinity, uh, St. John's,
1: Emmanuel,
0: Emmanuel, and so on. Now, isn't this ironic? That here's our society, I've just referred to the universities, but the whole culture, founded on the Word of God, what happened? How come we've got marginalized? Now, in this title, to go to the next thing. The evangelical pietism, pietism, was a movement which began... so, So, let me just sum up what I've said. Back there in the 16th century was the Reformation, and that took this sort of shadowy Christianity that existed at the end of the Middle Ages, and it brought New Testament faith to light. Here we stand, like I said, Cranmer believes, Ridley believes, Latimer believes they die for their faith. For what? Sola Scriptura. Only the Bible. Sola Fide. Only faith. Not works. Not the church. You see? And so you have this amazing culture <coughs> produced. I've used the example of this country and the United States as examples of that. Okay. But then, For a number of reasons. In the 18th 18th century, that's in the 1700s, before Wesley um, and and so on got going, you had the development in Germany of a movement called Pietism. Now, we must be very careful here. It It had the best intentions, the very best intentions. They had a desire to have A true spiritual experience. Pietatus just means that piety, you know, godliness. And they didn't want to just be going to church on Sunday. They wanted to have it be a reality in their everyday life. Isn't that commendable? And in the early generation, the first generation, they did all sorts of wonderful practical things, just like Wesley and the others did after them. And that is they started um, orphanages, they started schools, They they started to train people in in other languages, you know, like Eastern languages, so they got as missionaries to the East, and so on. So it was a very uh, impressive movement of spiritual renewal. But, here's the problem. And this is what influenced Wesley, the Wesleys, later on. And that was, like I said, for a number of reasons, they started to play down the importance of the mind, and to emphasize experience, personal experience. And it seemed to work for a while. Why? Because, well, they were godly people, man, they loved the Lord, they were praying, they were zealous in evangelism, they were zealous in good works, and it worked. It worked, but quickly fizzled out. By quickly, I mean, you know, it didn't have the staying power of the Reformation, the Reformation we started in the 16th century, and let me just tell you. If you look at a map of the world, and you ask, where are countries where people are still free? And I mean, not perfectly free, not, not w- without problems, no, no, no. But by comparison, let's say, with Romania, with, uh, with other countries around the world, like China or Vietnam, with terrible persecution and loss of freedom. And also physical deprivation. You know, that West Germans can't believe what's been going on in East Germany. They have a real shock when they see what's actually happened and uh, this inhumanity. But, but in terms of, of the ideal, certainly what was produced by the Reformation was remarkable. Okay. It had staying power. We still, in these countries, enjoy the fruits of what they produce. Still, we have a political system which owes its origin to them. Okay? But, with the pietism, it seemed to be very godly, it seemed to be very zealous, and they started to stress over against the truth, the objective truth. Not that they didn't believe in it, but instead of, you know, really grappling with these ideas and saying, okay, so this is true, how does this relate to philosophy? How does this relate to the state? They just said, forget about those things. It's a waste of time, you know. Let's get out there, let's get out there. And and, and emphasis upon godliness started to turn towards legalism. Does this remind you of anything? This is what happened to ourselves. Like I said, beginning at the end of the 19th century, we said, forget those things. We're going to do the really important things. We're going to evangelize, and we're going to read the Bible, we're not going to read novels, etc., etc. I'm coming to the third thing. Ghetto mentality. What does that remind you of? Ghetto mentality. So we're fine, we talk to each other, we love each other, etc., etc. And then periodically we make raids out into the society for evangelism. <laughs> and uh, fireworks. Then we come back into our little ghetto, and Society keeps getting. Now, by contrast, what I'm suggesting we have to learn is what I call, not less evangelism, but penetration evangelism. You know, you have two kinds of people who come to town. The one are the circus people. So they roll up and they put out their stuff and you get on the roundabouts and... Two or three days later, off they go. There are other kinds of people who come to town. They're the refugees. They buy a little cafe, a restaurant. They stay. kids go to school. Um, they go and join some societies. And sooner or later, you find them, and you find that they're representing you in the council. Oh, there's nothing wrong with this. This is perfectly good. I mean, it's just exactly how it should be. Now, which are we? Are we the circus people? We rent Wembley Stadium. Off we go. <laughs> are we like the refugees? You get in there, and they penetrate. And soon you find, oh, Professor of English. Mr. Sonsert. Professor of French. Mr. Sonsert. Mr. And then the guy's in the politi- political scene. And oh! And in TV, even. You know? Wow, this is something. That's what I mean by penetration. Where it is essential, and that's why I want to deal with what I'm going to do with tomorrow. It is essential if you're going to do this. You can't do the circus act. You can't do the circus act in the TV world. Man, they'll just kick you out. They'll say, Go do it someplace else. Not here. You can't do it in the universe. You can't do it in the political arena. In other words, you have to have grappled with the issue of truth. Is this really true? If it is true, then what? And we say it's true. Then what? Oh, we've got a fight, man. We have a big fight. We have, we're living in a situation where in any discipline, C.S. Lewis wrote his book, the Abolition of Man, and if you read it carefully, front page, I am writing this book, because I have here in my hand, he wouldn't name it, a green book. You know what this was? It was a textbook for high school kids in school. English. Not philosophy, not religion, not comparative religion. High school, English. It wasn't called The Abolition of Man. It was called Textbook on English. And it involved the abolitionist. In other words, you take this view, the non-Christian view of reality, the humanist view of reality, you say, this universe is not made by God. So, well, what is it made by? Oh, it's made by chance. You know? just happened. So, just like throwing marbles on the ground, they fell there, and there are all these planets running around. And that little one over there, and uh, up comes life, and it springs up And it goes like this, okay
1: And where have we come from?
0: That philosophy was expressed in the Enlightenment No God One of the great uh, writers of that time In the 18th century, he wrote a book I mean, this is all clear It sounds like it's complicated, you know It sounds philosophical, but it's not It's very straightforward, very simple He wrote a book in French called L'homme, man, machine Man, the machine. What does that sound like? That was in the 18th century. That's not in the 20th century. That's not in 1989 or 1990. Man, the machine. In other words, they saw the picture. Okay, God's not there. What have we got? We've got machines. Now, if you have that philosophy, where does it lead you to? It sure doesn't lead you to develop a society where man is valued where you have a great emphasis upon the value of each individual. Oh, it did for a while. They kept up the tradition because it had already been started. And they went on, they said, yeah, we have that view. We don't any longer believe in God. We have that view, but we will keep up this moral system. We don't need God for that. We have morality. But soon, the penny started to drop for one person, for another, like this guy, quick. Man the machine. For another person... Like uh, a playwright In the early 19th century And he wrote one of his pieces Wozzeck uh, And he, he said Every time I look at a ball I want to be sick You know why? Because it reminds me of the utter futility of our life We're on a ball It's going nowhere Now, isn't that logical? Seriously, stop now this is not philosophy. Isn't that logical? What are we all doing here? We're only here for a short while. We're on this planet. It's a ball. It's going around the sun. <laughs> and it's at tremendous speed. It's going nowhere. Maybe it'll freeze to death. Maybe it'll go up in smoke. What's the point? And so, from the beginning of the 19th century, right up until ourselves, what we saw in the development of Western thought was the death of man. So they started out saying God is dead, they end up with the death of man. And that's what we're witnessing. No basis for morality, no basis for meaning in life, etc., etc. Now, if you've never thought about this, and you go into the university, you go into the media, you've never dealt with this question of truth, Christianity is really true. They start. They turn their big guns on you. You believe in Jesus Christ? I mean, this is ridiculous. We don't live in a world of miracles, or whatever. Whatever their accusation is, how do you respond? Now, what I read in the New Testament is that Paul just reached for his his six, you know, his uh, six shooting <laughs> bang, blew him out of the water. Guess what he did? I speak words of truth and sound sense. I'm not mad. I speak words of truth. And the word is rationality. Sound sense? So he went around in that world, and gradually people were converted, but they were converted on the basis of truth, and so they changed the whole culture. You see? That's how it's got to start. So, this ghetto mentality, this evangelical pietism being cut off from the world, the irony, this is where I want to leave you, and then we can talk, is that. Our forefathers didn't have that view, so they were able to change the whole culture and make it have those elements which are so precious to us. We gave that up. We had a different view of spirituality, evangelical pietism, emphasis on experience rather than on the mind, and so on. And I'm not trying to elevate the mind, as you'll hear, more than experience. I'm just saying the mind is absolutely essential. The Bible makes it absolutely essential, and so on. And they didn't continue that Reformation principle. We had the pietistic principle, okay. and as a result, we're in the ghetto. If we want to get out of the ghetto, we have to go back to square one. It's a very difficult thing, as I'm going to try to say tomorrow. You don't learn this in the night. You don't learn this in two weeks. You know, this is a lifetime commitment of starting now to saying, I realize this is a different view of, of Christianity than I have been taught in my church, or have had from my family, whatever. And I'm not going to be negative about the church. There's no value in that. I'm going to just go, go the biblical way. I'm going to start it. I'm going to see this as important. And I'm going to start. So let's start. Okay, who wants to start? Yes. Is that,
1: um well, you know, um, what's wrong really with living a biblical life? You know, yeah, we've put a lot of emphasis in your life on reading the Bible, yeah, on fellowship, on yep. um, listening to Christian music, yeah, trying to turn right. away from the from the uh, world, yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: But then there's an element of that which is quite right. You see, fellowship is absolutely essential. You're the body of Christ, so we have to be together, the members of the body. And then secondly, reading the Bible. You know, one has to read the Bible. Uh, One of the first things my uh, future father-in-law said to me when I was this young Christian at university, Man, I really thank him for that day, and I urge you all to do the same, is start at the beginning and go to the end. Seriously. The Bible is not devotional texts. The Bible is God's truth about the universe. So you start at the beginning and you see it. It's It's a story, it's a thrilling story. And there's lots you don't understand. So you keep a notebook, and the things you don't understand, you keep a notebook. And the next time you meet somebody like John over here, you ask him some questions, you know, and so on. That's how you learn. But you see, There's an element in that which is right, i.e., we are not to uh, lose our Christian calling to be the church, to be committed to God's word, reading it as the central thing of our life, etc., etc., okay? What's wrong is that there was this concept that to be spiritual, you've got to come away from the world. Now, of course, you know when you apply this in some ways, it's, it, you see how ridiculous it is. You don't stop being a butcher because you become a Christian. Should we stop thinking because of become that's all? I mean, it's ridiculous. Should stop being interested in music? No, of course not. So, some of the most powerful ways in which we can make contact with people in our society, I feel, is by understanding their thinking. Remember what Paul did when he was in Athens. He said he walked around the town and he sussed it out, and he went up to them to Mars Hill and he said, "Look, this is amazing, you guys. This is ridiculous what you're doing." Can you imagine many of us going to our teachers or our doctors or whatever and saying, "Look, your ideas are ridiculous," but that's actually what is the case, and I, I don't want to suggest that it's all simple, you know, by saying that, but it really is. Our, our culture has done something very, very foolish. Thinking themselves to be wise, they've become fools. Mm. And it all started because they gave up the Christian view of a creation. God being there, first of all, objectively true. If God's not an invention of my mind, God is really there. It's the other way around, man. You're an invention of his mind. <laughs> so, he's there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let's make man in our own image, you see. He his mind. He made this whole thing. And and so, then you go through, you see, with that view. modern man says, no, no. It didn't happen like that. And it's that that we have to attack, challenge him in. It's from that root that the bitter fruit has come. So in terms of music, let's say. Now, I don't know very much about this, but I'm prepared to guarantee that if someone were to do this, and of course not everyone could do this, because there's a sickness in modern music. Just like some, some pagan cultures, they can't listen to the drums any longer. I don't know if you've heard African drums, but, but the way it's originally, it was all tied up with religion. Uh, and it's a sick religion, <coughs> an evil religion. So, some people cannot go on and listen to drums, and that's one of the problems the mission has had. So for some people, they have to withdraw. But, like my sister-in-law has made a study she didn't come out of that sort of background. she's made a study of modern music, and she has communication with the youngsters on the basis of what's what <coughs> happened in the music scene. It's very, very sad, and these guys are, in a way crying out, saying, "You're absolutely lost." Similarly, uh, I don't know if you Arthur Miller you know, uh, Death of a Salesman These it was on TV I'm only citing things, you know, which I've just seen recently uh, and so on there is a terrible uh, loss in our society and hunger, I think for an authoritative word but you don't make contact with them by going up to them and saying, do you believe in Jesus Christ? you make contact with them on the basis of, man I'm thirsty are you thirsty? the woman at the well And that's how we, and we've lost that. We've lost that capacity because we're not interested in ideas. We're interested in (coughs) progress. Let's get out there with a circus, But if you say to them, or rather, if you don't say to them initially, um, witnessing to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, you must surely come on to him pretty soon within that. Well, I would say. Two things, really. The one is, your relationship must have integrity. In other words, um, I'm not going to go and play tennis with somebody because I want to uh, talk to them about Jesus Christ. I'm going to go play tennis because I want to play tennis. If I'm working as an engineer, I'm working and he's worried about this problem that we've run into, and I'm alongside uh, that person, and I'm trying to work out the problem. Or a girl in my office has got a problem with the computer. You know what You see what I mean? Of integrity. One housewife to another housewife. Problems with the kids. We don't say, yes, my dear, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I have problems with that. Hey, do you know Jesus Christ? You, know, you see, that's that's lacking integrity. You've got to have a human relationship. And that's where, secondly, I feel... That there's another whole way to have this relationship. So you said to bring Jesus Christ into the discussion. Now, I think that if you once see that the Bible is talking about truth, that is something which is, I'm not, it's so hard to say, which is behind Jesus in the sense that he has come as the final expression of truth. You see, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is a truth that lies behind him. This is why I sometimes say Christianity didn't begin with Jesus. Did it? Where did it begin? It at the beginning. It began with God who created all things and who made this universe. And then the fall. This is all essential. The only reason Jesus came is because that truth lies behind him. He came as the Lamb of God. What? Well, because the Lamb's back there, you see. You
1: see my point? And so now,
0: With that concept, what I find is that you can have a conversation and not actually mention the name Jesus. Listen to me carefully. I'm not saying you shouldn't mention the name Jesus. Don't misunderstand it. But just that you can have a conversation with a person, not actually mention the name of Jesus, and yet expose him to the truth. Like this. You're sitting next to somebody at the table, in a, in a cafe or someplace, in a, in a, a student uh, <laughs> cafeteria or something, and you find out after talking for a while that they're very interested in Eastern ideas. And lots of people are interested in Eastern ideas, you knew that, didn't you? And so, what do you say? Now, if you start to talk about the Eastern ideas, you can have a very interesting conversation with that person, and quickly help them. I think. I mean, of course, all this is under God's leading. He He must give us the words. He must enable us to speak with the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and so on. So this is not just an argument. You know, we're not just trying to score points. Don't mm-hmm. misunderstand. But in that context, you start to talk about the Eastern view of reality is like this. If you picture two balloons, here is the balloon. This is the Christian view. God and it's a poor illustration but then God created and he created a separate thing so that God is not the same thing as the balloon so when I see the butterfly I say what a beautiful butterfly but I don't say what a beautiful God because God is not the butterfly I see the beauty that God has made he is the author of the beauty. But I don't get these two things confused. Okay, Creation, the Creator, creation. Got it? Two separate things. So God is not interfused with the creation. You may think this is a small point, believe me, man. It's a big point. Here it comes. The Eastern view of one balloon. You know those ones you go, they're terror- difficult to blow up, but eventually you get it up and go, bang. There's a long, big thing, right? One. Reality, they say, Listen, man, there are millions and millions and millions of people who live on this basis. Mm-hmm. One reality. What did the Beatles say? They sang a song. This is the song. The song was an Eastern song. I'm it, you're it. Everything's there. Mm-hmm. Reality is one. So you have no concept of a personal creator who is created a universe you have only one. And so, salvation, in the Eastern sense, is to get rid of all your sense of distinction. So why is the guy doing this? Sitting on and uh, contemplating his neighbor or whatever else he does? He's trying to get rid, by mind control, highest consciousness, these are the phrases that you use, uh, trying to get rid of the sense of being distinct. Here's a lady, here's a man. Oh no, you've got to get beyond that. Uh, here's, here's good, here's the only no, you've got to get beyond that. You see? That's oh, madness. I mean, that's what you're saying. It's crazy. Well, that's right. The devil is a murderer from the beginning. And these ideas have entrapped, have enslaved people, and have destroyed people. And now they're coming across here, and they're going to enslave us, and destroy us. They've enslaved people out there, as you know, three-quarters at least of the Indian population for millennia, For millennia,
1: means slaves. Mm -hmm. Something. That's right. They have had a caste
0: system far more rigid than apartheid. In South Africa, they've had a caste system, you know, involving you know all sorts of gradations. I think. Where did that all come from? Did it just come out of the sky? No, no, it's the religion. Mm -hmm. does And boy, today you better not be a woman, a girl, baby. As you know, this is something I heard on the radio in World Service just the other day. A discussion, because there's tremendous infanticide in India, just like there was Sati, that is, the widows were burned uh, alive, just cast onto the fire. The so this is coming back now. I'm not trying to be rude, Matt, but don't there I'm just trying to say this is reality. These ideas came out of they're an expression of that other view of reality. So. Here's the Christian truth. Here's the Hindu quote truth. So I'm sitting down next to this person. We have a conversation like this. I haven't mentioned Jesus yet, right? I've got this person worried. Ah, have got a problem. Man. If I have that sort of a view, hey, I've just suddenly realised, no matter how sincere I might be, there isn't any distinction between good and evil. Because, you only got one balloon, God is as much the good, or rather, God is as much the evil, as God is the good. And if you saw the film, um, uh, uh, Temple of Doom, um, what's it
1: called? Indiana Jones.
0: I got it right, Temple of Doom, right? Uh, you remember that terrible scene? That was the one scene when it really was bad. Because what you were seeing was a um, representation of um, of a human sacrifice, uh, which was this word thug. is a religious sect to this day. There may be anyone in the society. They join this religious sect called the thugs, for which we get the term thuggery. It's an Indian expression. And they go out and they murder people at night. And this is part of their religious worship. Now, you see, I mean, it fills us with horror, but it is a lot. Manson, Charles Manson, who murdered those folk in Hollywood years back, he was right into this thing. And he—he, he, this is what he'd been reading, so he went out, well, he did not himself, he got some guys, one of the most converted in prison, and they went out and they murdered these people, these uh, film stars. Because, you see, there is no
1: distinction between good and evil.
0: If God is just whatever is, So, to them, the expression of ultimate reality is, listen to me carefully, the whole, not whole, H-O-L-E, not a black hole, though the end is the same, but the W-H-O-L-E, the whole, that means everything that is, without distinction. The whole, without distinction. So, they're pictures of gods, are of the men and the women being fused and becoming neuter. Those are pictures, that's an expression of this idea. So I'm just trying to make the point, I hope I'm not losing any of you, that, you see, to make contact with people with that sort of a mind shift, m- mindset, you, you can't just approach them, I mean, you can, God can use anything, you can just say to them, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ and he is the savior of the world and that word will stick with them and they may be saved 10 years later. So that's what God can do. But in the ordinary course of events, what we see is Paul going and he doesn't just talk to people like that. It says he reasoned with them. And if they were Gentiles and didn't have the Bible, he didn't assume that they had the Bible. And if they were Jews and they did have the Bible, he reasoned with them on the basis of that. And all the time, if you look through Acts, trying to persuade them that this was true. So, I'm just making the point that you don't have to bring Jesus into the discussion straight away to have made them face, on the one side, the awfulness of a system of thought that doesn't have Christ, and then to come and say, hey, now tell me, what is it, Matt? What's your view? That I might uh, be saved. So I, I'm giving a simplification of it all, but you you see the point I'm making. Is it anyone got anything else? else? We're nearly done. What what to what degree like, do you think Christians can make a difference in, in the society. society, like in a workplace, like in all? Yeah, and I not sure. just individually. Like it, since tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. Depends on the courage. Depends on the courage. I mean, you know, I mean seriously now. When we when we talk about the Reformation and the change that came about in this country, we have to remember that it was at the cost of some of these guys' lives. You go to Oxford, man; they were burned up there, and you can see the spot. Now, which of us has the courage to take on the society so that we'll be prepared to be treated? Some poor Christians, like in Nepal, we know of a guy, a friend of my, my son-in-law, who's half a Nepali-Canadian, and he's a Christian, taking a clear stand. He's in prison. He's got two young kids, his wife. They're in great need. He's in prison. And their man prison is bad. But I'm saying, I'm making the point that our culture is rapidly moving in the direction of greater and greater intolerance, as well as greater and greater indifference to the moral standards of the society that that it used to exist. So we're seeing the breakdown of family and so on. It's an intolerance to someone who will take a stand. That's it. it. It's not intolerance per se. Exactly. And uh, A friend of mine has a lecture and it's entitled Pluralism, that's have any religions you like, Pluralism, Relativism and Intolerance. Because that's what's going to happen. You'll be fine, just as we've, we've, we've said. Fine just as long as you don't say it's really true, and that's why the Christians were fed to the lions. They were not fed to the lions in the first century because they believed in Jesus Christ. They were fed to the lions because they said Jesus will not be put in the Pantheon, which had just been built, this big thing which is still there, this huge dome. And the emperor thought, oh, well, we'll get some unity, you know, get some everyone loving each other, so we'll have all of them represented around. I and mean, you still see it there, a little niche over here for this god, this god from Germany, this one from France, this one from Norway, North Africa, put more in there, and this will create unity, because the empire was beginning to disintegrate. Who are these Christians who say you can't have Jesus in the back yet? Feed him to the lions. See? And that's what's coming. Don't mistake it. It's coming, greater and greater in So we stand up like this. And it's, it's all very well for me to talk to you here like this. Easy for me to do it. What about in the arena? In the university? Standing up against the really hard questions. For me, I mean, not for any of you. What about in the business world? What about in the medical world? I had an anesthetist tell me that uh, he had decided that he would never be involved in an abortion he knew what the price of that was. Yeah, there's your job, man. Ah, we'll get another one. Are we going to pay the price for this kind of thing? So I would say, yes, we can make a huge difference. Now, even without that, that's being dramatic, you know, in a sense, that that's the end of the road. But even without that, we can make a huge difference. And one has seen, I mean, I just have had the pleasure. Of coming back after being five years away, um, and uh, we started a little church. And there were just six of us at the beginning. This is back in 72, and now the church is about 300. But we've come back, and now you see all of the Christians having this mind, okay, <laughs> more or less. And they're going into the culture, into the society, they're penetrating. So we arrive, we find the schools completely different. Why? Because they've got out kind of the ten so sort of governors. Uh, just by free election, you know, not, uh, no one trying to pull strings or anything, by free election, but about half, it, a third, third to a half, I think it is, of the, of the uh, governors are Christians, members of our church. Well, that makes a difference. <coughs> so, in all sorts of ways, we can already have an enormous
1: impact on the society. Uh, I can see your points on uh, Christians having positions, which. Yeah, as um uh, understand the way that you put it over as the world becoming I mean as it as it is predestined um not predestined such but as it has been revealed in the Bible such yeah. in the last days which is actually happening. Which mm. has been happening with the last day. yeah since mm. Or mm. uh, I mean the thing is that like do you think there will be enough people in positions Mm. So, I mean, does it, what difference does it make? I mean,
0: yeah, now you see, I, I think I see where
1: you're going. If it's already
0: been. If, if God been. has already said that it's going to end up in a shambles, yeah. what are we doing trying to uh, <laughs> fix it up? Yeah. Now, this is a problem that Christians have always faced. This is not a new problem. <laughs> it's not a new problem. Uh, Paul had a real expectation that maybe Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. And so he actually says, um, at one point, uh, and when we, he says, end of 1 is 4, all oh, these others have died here, yeah, don't worry, so they're, they're asleep in the Lord. Uh, and when we, then we will be caught up when Christ comes back with him in the, in the air. So he had a real expectation that maybe he was in that last moment, and, and, and Christians should always have had that expectation, because we don't know the day. But having said that, even though we did know, say we did know, for sure, for sure, for sure, that Jesus was coming back, which I'm not teaching you years ago, <laughs> But but in 2000, the year 2000, it wouldn't change anything of what I was doing, of all of this. Trying to help my neighbour their problems, um, loving my children, going out, having some leisure together, because that's important, I should have rest one day in seven days. And wouldn't change it, and sitting down playing Mozart and, Mozart, and going to the museums, and uh, working to improve the appearance of the city in which I live, and all these things, wouldn't change any of that, because all of that is good. And that's what I'm called for. And Luther summed this up beautifully. He said, even if I knew Christ was coming tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree because there's value in planting an apple tree regardless. I'm not doing what I'm doing. No, this is very, very important. I'm not doing what I'm doing because it's going to be successful. I'm doing what I'm doing because it's glorified today. It's right and it's glorified today. So if I have someone with a cup of cold water, Tomorrow I'm going to die
1: doesn't make any diminution of what I've done.